Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hi, I'm Dhamini and you're listening to Gender Question. Here we will look at an issue that's in the news using the lens of gender. The idea is to take a blind spot and throw some light on it. When in March 22nd of March when the lockdown started when I was going to work I was stopped and I had to go back. My boss told me to stay at home so I stayed back for maybe 20 days or something. And then I had to go then you know there was they gave me a car they gave me some travel when I was going some police the staff my boss was along with me there were some other staff they said no you have to be separate you can't go along. I showed them the papers I showed them the documents they said no no not possible. So I alone started walking from for around 7 to 8 kilometers that I had to walk to my workplace. That's Geeta speaking about her experience of going to work during the lockdown at an online launch of a report called Neglected and Forgotten, Women with Disabilities During the Covid Crisis in India. Geeta works in a bank and is a former member of the youth section of the National Association for the Deaf. Banks, as you may recall, were part of the essential services that were kept open during the lockdown. Geeta spoke in sign language, which was translated into English by an interpreter. In this episode, we continue our conversation with Nidhi Goyal, one of the authors of this report. Inaccessibility to physical space was not the only barrier that women with disabilities faced. Access to digital spaces, like the Arogya Setu application for instance, was also difficult for many of them. You know, the app needs to be developed on W3C guidelines, which are Web, web Accessibility Consortium, uh, Worldwide Web Consortium guidelines, um, which are accessibility guidelines, which are very simple, but the developer has to follow it for um, a screen reader user to use it. Plus the information that you upload, update on the app. You can't update a scanned PDF. If you put an image, even saved as a PDF, it's finally an image. My screen reader... Uh, is not going to read it. And those are the kinds of inaccessibilities that were reported with the Ayurogya Setu app and deaf by blind participants. And the deaf participants said there is no information in sign language, not even in Indian sign language. And the literacy rates of uh, deaf individuals is really low. So how are you imagining that all the information is accessible to everyone? We say, okay, information is at our fingertips. It's not at the fingertips of the entire population. Yeah. But we're living so much in our own worlds and women with disabilities are so invisible yeah. um, that we say, okay, domestic violence helplines, these are easy call-in numbers. Anybody could call in with zero balance or everything else, if you put everything else. But there are women who can't call because they can't hear or cannot speak. Right. What are the facilities for them? So how does this play out in terms of real consequences for women with disabilities, we asked. When access is denied, so physical spaces right now with the whole social distancing measure, um, you know, people who need 
tactile support. So someone like me, who's blind, would need some some human assistance because it's not like everything in our country is accessible, right? It's not like I can walk to the corner store unaided. Mm. Um, and if I need human assistance and I don't have to touch anybody, how's that even going to work? Yeah. Um, those who are deaf or hard of hearing read lips many a times because yeah. others don't know sign language. What happens when they're wearing masks? And so one of the women um, share with, shares with us in our report that she, you know, lip reading, many deaf women reported that lip reading became a barrier. And so going to vendors, access became a barrier for them. And because of that, she faced violence at home because the family saw her as an added burden that she couldn't go at this time of COVID to buy groceries and go to a vendor. So the gendered experiences are very linked. Access linked to health is linked to violence, is linked to discrimination. And just to sort of wrap up with one point here um, uh, is, you know, we talk about health um, and menstrual menstrual health is something anyway, Again, it's like, oh, but why do we want to talk about menstrual health? We all know it's a taboo in our country, et cetera. Mm. But when there is lack of, you know, the first list of essential products did not have menstrual products in it. Um, And that, yeah, yeah, and that's a question that a lot of women's rights groups have raised. Um, But what we don't realize is that when, you know, these products are not available for women with disabilities and they're forced to use things like cloth, Mm. Uh, And if they live with uh, a disability that has high support need or that makes it difficult to maintain the cloth hygiene, Mm. they really are, are putting their health in danger. And I think I just want to come back to the point that I was making earlier about the responsibility of the state towards its citizens' health and how, in fact, by completely missing out on things like, uh, for example, sign languages during say, you know, some kind of an announcement by the central government or a press meet, right, uh, which is being televised. Um, huh. The utilization, for example, of PDFs, um, uh, which cannot be read by a screen reader, um, and so many other kinds of, um, um, you know, methodologies that are being used, which simply do not take into account uh, the needs of persons with disabilities and women with disabilities, particular. I think that that, for me at least, indicates an abrogation of state healthcare. Now, having said that, I think it's very important to point out here that the Ministry of Social Justice and Empowerment did actually come out with a set of guidelines uh, for, mm. um, for persons with disabilities and how information should be disseminated. Uh, and they came out with these guidelines in March. Uh, but not every state actually has implemented those guidelines. And I believe your report actually uh, talks about three states that have, right? Different states did different pieces. So three states did the pieces around, you know, providing some sign language interpretation on um, and government. on television, right? Yeah, government, state government announcement levels. Uh, some states distributed food. Um, so some states worked on that. Tamil Nadu had a helpline set up. So there are different pieces of it which were done by different states, but there was not that there's not a single state that has followed all the guide, all the pieces in the guidelines. Yeah. Um, I also, I'm glad you brought up the guidelines because that was the next thing I wanted to say. Yeah. Um, that when we say it's a state responsibility, I think this understanding that we're also, as women with disabilities, stuck between two departments of the state or two ministries, right. which yeah. is women and child development and also the social justice and empowerment. And so when guidelines are issued by social justice and empowerment, they have a single word mentioned saying special care should be taken for women and children with disabilities, Mm. which makes no sense to me, right? Because what special care? 
in which context and why wouldn't you nuance this care why wouldn't you say that this entire policy document should have a gendered response yeah. um if you don't want to give some nuancing around around gender um right. also you know the nodal officers who were appointed to be implementing these are actually the state commissioners for disability in many states they don't exist the post is vacant i'm sure you already know in may somebody had approached the delhi high court um to uh, you know uh, allow caregivers and assistants to uh, uh, travel during the lockdown and to basically see them as an essential yeah, yeah. essential service and not just sort of provider yeah and provide them yeah and 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 this again came from somebody who has uh, a disability themselves they uh, and and uh, and they definitely required you know physical assistance uh, and which they did not have for weeks on end so i mean thus their life in some ways was in danger because uh, of this oversight and um, i think that your report also talks about caregivers doesn't it so it does um and 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 like i said it's extremely important what we see as essential services and what we see as essential products etc so when this it's not just about the lockdown i think we also have to look at this report as a long term thing talking about caregivers it was extremely challenging for people who needed personal support right who needed support at home who needed support to survive who needed support to even turn around maybe or feed themselves or wash themselves nidhi told us about a case where social distancing norms which are in place even now failed a woman with disability this case in the report which is really heart wrenching mm. um where a woman with crutches went to get her essentials and she slipped and nobody offered her help and she was lying on the floor and she somehow had the sense to um or had the presence of mind to take out this sanitizer from her purse and she showed the sanitizer to the shopkeeper and said can you please help me yeah and that's when she got help yeah. um so it's really <laughs> we have to understand where we are also putting norms etc which is absolutely under the health guidelines so i don't want to challenge that oh why are we asking people to wear masks why are we asking for social distancing that's not what this reports doing yeah. this reports only saying that you think about um other groups and try to find alternate solutions i think it's so important to recognize that we're actually at a point where we don't need to um deal with the problem 5 years later we're at a point where we can actually deal with this problem now and i i'd like you to tell us a little bit about the recommendations that your report talks about right um our our report basically recommends um inclusion if you will mm. um first of all in the disaster management so we do have long term and short term things that um multiple stakeholders can undertake um and it's really coming um on the heels of a lot of work that the disability rights movement and the women's rights movement has done mm. so i'll start with domestic violence to even think about right now mm. uh providing information and disseminating it that what domestic violence and access, uh, access to justice responses or what are the rights of women right now including women with disabilities and disseminating that far and wide in multiple formats mm. when we also say multiple formats we have to think about liter- literacy levels language barriers all of that right so Yeah. um really thinking on the principles of universal access and re- also having helplines and shelter homes in a way that is accessible for all mm. uh including accommodating needs of women with disabilities it ranges from here to thinking about what access to information means for various uh groups of people mm. um 
and including sign language, uh, audio, braille, and easy to read formats. This is a format that we often undersell or under sort of value. Mm. Easy to read formats really came in for people living with intellectual disabilities, but are so much more helpful in terms of people who do not understand complicated language, people who like simple reads, um, people who are not big on reading, all of that, right? So having information, again, all about COVID and response and and measures available. One thing that uh, the report really strongly recommends, and I'm trying to come to pieces which are not generally spoken about, is having an inclusive mental health response Mm. and having a community support. Mm. Um, The next thing that... Yeah, no, but what, what would that mean? Yeah. What would that mean is to have peer support options? So right now we're only focusing on helplines. Mm. Uh, nobody's building models around just having some kind of peer support, um, having anything other than call-in options. Um, mm. We're not focusing on if anyone now needs in-person as well. We're all saying everything is possible digitally, but everything is not possible digitally. Uh, we're also leaving marginalized groups out because we actually feel that mental health is not for them because they're anyway used to living with discrimination. Right, right. We're now focusing on mental health of the community that has not faced discrimination so much in life, right? Right. Um, So we're talking about, oh my God, now everybody needs mental health support. No, but people who are already marginalized, they face so many discriminations in their lives. So if you stand the access of being a woman in a patriarchal society and, and woman with a disability in an ableist society in a time of crisis, yeah. that kind of nuancing is not recognized in the mental health response. So really to recognize that and make available relevant pieces. And then very importantly, the sexual and reproductive um, health services um, yeah. and the other other services like physiotherapy, occupational therapy, um, those to be counted as essential ther- therapies. Um, you know, we don't, and I'll end with this because health is something that we're all talking about. Mm. Um, for many um, people with disabilities, just having access to these regular pain management, um, muscular uh, support therapies are all important for daily living and for independent living, mm. so that they can live in the best of the health they can and can live as independently as they can. These are not ancillary to survival. These are, these are necessary for survival. And so recognizing what's essential, including menstrual products as essential products, and these as essential services, health services, even in the time of this ongoing crisis, because the crisis isn't over. The lockdowns are, but the crisis isn't over. I'll end this episode with a very important thought that Nidhi has left us with. Perhaps it would benefit us as a society to think of this crisis as not just one of health, but in fact, as a crisis of care. If you have any questions, do reach out to me at The Red Dhamini on Twitter. You can also leave your feedback at HT Smartcast on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Bye. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. I'm Annie Apple and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. 
from Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app.